How good is this? A huge welcome to everybody to the first ever episode of Out on the Paddock, a brand new podcast initiative brought to you by the WA Country Cricket Board and with the support of WA Cricket. My name is Rob Marshall and I'll be your host on Out on the Paddock each episode and we want to give you, the listener, an amazing opportunity to become connected to all the happenings of regional cricket here in WA, both past, current and future. We will be talking all things Senior Country Week, Junior Country Week, Women's Country Week, Country Colts, the WA Country Masters Carnival, WA Country 11 men's and women's and much, much more. And we hope that you'll be able to connect with us in a way that you've never done before. But possibly more exciting is each episode of Out on the Paddock. We will feature a former or current WA regional cricketer or volunteer who has an amazing story to tell and has an even more amazing passion for WA country cricket and the journey that they've been on to get there. In this first ever episode of Out on the Paddock, we hear the incredible journey of one of the living legends of WA country cricket, Tuck Waldron. Tuck's one of the most capped WA Country 11 players in our history and captain the WA Country 11 against more international touring teams than anyone to date, including the world champion West Indies of the 1980s. But it's Tuck's story of growing up playing cricket in Cogent Up that you're going to really resonate with, I believe. His passion for country cricket is absolutely there for everybody to hear. We hope that you'll put us on in the car as you travel to a match or perhaps as you're getting ready for training or whatever it might be. Stay tuned in, sit back and listen now to Out on the Paddock, Episode 1. Joining me today on our first ever episode is Steve Philippi, Area Manager Country. Welcome, Steve. Yeah, hi, Rob. Uh, Excited to be here. And we've also got Andrew Hayes, Country Cricket Coordinator. Welcome, Andrew. Yeah, hi, Rob. Thanks very much for having me. Looking forward to it. It's great to have you guys joining us. And, uh, Steve, I'm going to kick off with you. What are your thoughts uh, around this uh, new innovation that we've brought about um, via the Country Cricket Board of a podcast specifically uh, targeted to WA Country Cricket? Yeah, personally, I'm excited, Rob. It's it's certainly a new way to, to do business. It's a new way for country cricket to share its stories and communicate to its stakeholders. And um, I'm excited about the uh, podcast itself, the work that you've put into it. It should be acknowledged right at the start. And they're yeah, looking forward to see where it can go. Yeah, look, we are genuinely excited. This is a, a new era, I guess, for WA Country Cricket. We've had our communication channels throughout the years that we've used and will continue to use, but this is just another opportunity for you guys as the listeners to, to you know, plug a set of headphones on and, you know, do the gardening and listen to all things WA Country Cricket. I'm sure that many will um, absolutely love the opportunity to engage with this. So we're uh, going to spend a little bit of time just talking about all things WA Country Cricket coming up as we go to go to air with this episode. We're in September. There's a feeling of uh, spring in the air, a bit of cricket uh, starting to be rolled out in some nets around country cricket grounds in WA. Probably the question that goes into many people's minds at this time of the year is what's unfolding in regards to Country Week. Um, In particular, we'll focus initially on Men's Country Week. And so I'm going to again throw to you, Steve. Um, I guess one of the things that uh, we've talked about I know many times is what is it that you believe makes WA uh, Country Cricket and in particular Country Week such a, an iconic thing in the sporting landscape of WA? Well, I think everyone recognises that it is that indeed a very iconic event, Rob, and I think it probably goes back to the longevity of the event. Senior Country Week, 100-plus carnivals now. Um, junior Country Week dates back to 1949. So so it's been an incredibly long journey. Uh, the size of the event, you know, last year we had 40-plus teams in, in junior and senior country week, so that tells you how well-supported it is by the country people. And finally, just the passion that people have for country week, leading up to it, during it, 
and post it, uh, you can't help but be um, impacted by that infectious um, enthusiasm that people have for this event. The word iconic is is absolutely the right word for Senior Country Week and the 100-plus Country Weeks you've called out there, just simply the number of games, that uh, number of Country Weeks that Johnny Bird from Collie's <laughs> played, for example. But uh, we'll uh, we'll get a bit, bit more into that and maybe Johnny might be one of our guests at some stage along the go as well. But... Uh, yeah, I love the I love your call out there, Steve, and I think it resonates with so many that have maybe played one or two country weeks or thirty country weeks, whatever it is. It is one of those moments that uh, we all look forward to each year. So, sort of furthering that, and I'm going to bring Andrew in at this point. What aspects, Andrew, of delivering junior and senior country weeks are are a bit challenging each year, or certainly for the country cricket board, um, we have to grapple with each season. Yeah, sure, Rob. And I I guess I'd like to preface uh, what I'm going to say by making it clear that I actually enjoy my job um, here in WA Cricket, especially working with the Country (laughs) Cricket Board. So whilst um, these are some of the challenges, um, I certainly enjoy what I do and I I suppose the challenges involved with getting it organised is what keeps me, me coming to work every day. So, look, I think the major challenges fall into two areas. Um... Number one is um, garnering the support of the uh, local cricket clubs um, and associations here in Perth um, to ensure that we actually have enough number of um, or n- enough grounds um, and facilities to to host all the games. So, you know, pretty much with 40 teams in both the junior and the seniors, um, you know, that involves a lot of games over, um, you know, five and six days. So it's really important on the in the first instance to uh, be in contact with our, um, our Metro clubs in Cricket West and Premier Cricket to make sure that, you know, we have access to their grounds. And then I think the second thing that becomes the most challenging is actually supporting the country associations in in uh, getting their nominations in on a timely um, manner um, so we can we can organise fixtures and all those types of things. Um, and as you're probably aware, you know, the last couple of years, especially with COVID coming in, it's been a bit of a struggle for people to commit to coming to Perth for a week to play and, and therefore it makes it difficult for those clubs and associations to nominate their teams in a timely manner. So, you know, very much about supporting them and making sure that the, the competition continues to grow and, and that, that's certainly been the case. Yeah, echoing the um, the real importance of the engagement we have with Premier Cricket and Cricket West around their grounds, their facilities, which um, so is such a highlight for so many of us over the journey and current players to be able to come to Perth and play on some of the pristine wickets around Perth is, is such an important thing, isn't it? And um, I know you've just called that out, but um, do you want to sort of add to that? You know, is it is it um, something that um, you're seeing a better engagement with as the years are rolling on perhaps? Yeah, absolutely it is. Um, you know, this will this uh, coming uh, Country Week Carnival will be, will be my fifth. And one of the things that um, that continues to evolve is the relationship between... Um, country clubs um, and associations with our, our metro counterparts in Premier Cricket and Cricket West. Um, we now get uh, the metro cricket clubs actually requesting for certain country associations to play at their grounds because they arrange for a bit of social um, interaction after a game, after a day's play. Um, and in, in the opposite, we get the country associations requesting to go to certain metro. Um, locations because they're so well so well looked after. So one of the real things that I see is this real strengthening bond between the country associations and the Metro. Yeah, absolutely. And we we've absolutely value those um, that are partnering alongside country cricket to allow that to happen. One of the things that um, often gets thrown at me as the chair of the country cricket board, and I'm, I'm keen for you to give some insights into this, Andrew, is is how we go about determining the, the annual dates for the respective country weeks. And uh, quite often that can be challenging for some associations. Can you give some insights into that? Yeah, sure. And it's a really relevant uh, time to be asking a question like that because um, in the past couple of seasons, we have come across a couple of um, challenges around um, securing or confirming dates for Country Week. So just to give you a little bit of background, um, from a historical point of view, Junior Country Week has always taken place pretty much the first week of January uh, following the, the holiday sort of season over Christmas and New Year. 
Um, and then Senior Country Week um, starts a week after the completion of Junior Country Week. So there's pretty much always been a week break in between. The other thing that we need to try and take into account is the Australia Day long weekend that obviously um, occurs at the end of January and it doesn't always land on, on the 26th of January. So in the last couple of years, so almost, well, pretty much starting this year, um, associations would have noted that it, it did take us a while to confirm the dates for um, the coming carnivals. And the main reason for that is, is that the, um, the public holidays um, where they fall um, in early January or don't really um, allow for the first week or the junior country week date to take place in that first week. Um, and because of that, going into 2022, associations will note that junior country week and senior country week are following, well, following each other. Um, and that's mainly because of those long, the long weekends or those um, public holidays, there's not enough lead-in time for our um, Metro Cricket Clubs to prepare facilities um, and turf wickets and those sorts of things. So that lead-in time is really, really important. Um, and if you look forward to the future, you'll see that in uh, 2023 and in 2024, even that um, we're going to be looking at a similar type of thing where these the country weeks are going to back onto each other. And doesn't really we don't really get back to um, uh, a clear slate, if you like, until 2025. Yeah. So we'll be trying to use this facility in particular, the podcast, to, you know, clearly communicate that as early as we possibly can each year to the stakeholders, to the players and the and the uh, uh, administrators in WA Country Cricket. So that's a great insight, Andrew, and that will include other events as well. We always have some challenges around the WA Country Masters Carnival um, each year as well, and we'll, we'll be trying to communicate that as early as we possibly can using this forum and other forums as well. Steve, just going on the back of that, there is a, a recognition that that can bring some challenges in regards to things like association, accommodation, bookings, et cetera. Do you want to sort of make any comments in regards to that? Yeah, happy to pick pick that up, Rob. It's certainly something that's been asked of me a few times. Um, you know, why can't we just roll our booking over year on year? And, and in fact, a lot of associations have, have tried to do that over the time. And with these complexities that Andrew has taken the time to outline there, it, it's just sometimes not possible to do that. So um, once again, the priority priorities for us are running the best tournament that we can, which means the best grounds, the best clubs, the best wickets, those types of things. So we put those things at the front of our decision making and occasionally that week, that junior country week starts, jumps forward or, and then back sometimes and then as a result, senior country week changes as well. But um, we, we, we thought through this podcast, people could understand the logic that goes into the decision making process and whilst we'll try and forecast those dates a couple of years ahead, they also have an ability to sort of understand when this when this might happen as well. Yeah, and we've got uh, lots that we want to unpack around our thinkings and, and the processes that come into play with both Junior and Senior Country Week as we uh, unfold each episode of Out on the Paddock. So uh, we we might uh, even unpack this a lot more on a, on a future episode, Andrew, but do you want to just give a, a brief high-level overview of how the uh, process is undertaken to establish the makeup of each section of just junior and senior country week each year? Just maybe a quick um, summation. Yeah, sure, Rob. And, you know, this is a question that I, I get asked um, quite often each year as to how this um, this comes about. So uh, there are two, um, two separate processes for junior and senior country week. In relation to junior country week, um, country associations are able to uh, nominate in the section that they feel that their team can participate uh, and compete in the best. So, um, you know, if they've got a very, what they consider to be a very strong side, then they obviously would nominate in the top section, um, in the A section, say, of under 16s, and same in the under 14s. And then there are varying levels below that, um, pretty much each section 16A, 16B, 16C and then 14 A, B and C. And we also have a junior formats um, in the uh, in the under-14s for those associations that want to send a team in purely for the participation aspect. What does tend to happen with uh, self-nomination process is that um, we do end up with some uneven numbers in some of those, those sections. So there's a degree of negotiation required um, taking into account the uh, the opinions of the, the local cricket manager, 
um, as to his or her knowledge of those players and what how he thinks or how she thinks those teams might participate. And then we might have to jump on the phone and do a little bit of negotiation, as I say, to move teams in and out. It's obviously best to have even numbers in each of those grades. It makes it easier for fixturing and it also ensures that all the uh, kids that are coming up to play um, are getting maximum cricket without having to sit out on buys and those sorts of things. Andrew, that uh, covers off beautifully on Junior Country Week. Can you give us some insights into how it works with Senior Country Week? Yeah, sure, Rob. And, and thankfully, Senior Country Week, it's a little bit easier because there's a really good process in place. So Senior Country Week um, is um, managed by a promotion relegation system. So um, at the end of each country week, uh, every team in the competition is ranked one through to, say, uh, 40, if there were 40 teams. And um, on top of that, the team that uh, wins each section um, automatically is relegated to the uh, section above for the next country week carnival. And the team that should lose that will will, uh, finish in the bottom part of the section will actually be relegated to the section below. So in the event of teams not re-nominating, each team will move up and down depending on where their relative ranking is. And where everyone falls, it's just a matter of pretty much um, drawing a line under each section or each group of eight teams. And that's how we end up with, um, with those sections. So summary relegation and promotion um, and it works works really well. Steve, I'm going to give you the, the final word in, in this first part of Out on the Paddock. Just a, a, a bit of a news update in regards to the ACCC, the Australian Country Cricket Championships. I know there's been a couple of announcements in the last week or two. Do you want to share those with us? Uh, certainly, Rob. Yeah, trying to keep everybody abreast of the thinking that's going behind the planning for these tournaments. Uh, currently, um, Cricket Australia has three options on the table for states and territories to consider and uh, a high-level summary of those is to cancel the tournament uh, in 2022, which was the case last year, as we know. Option two is to delay the tournament, push it back as late in the season as is possible and option three is to to run sort of two streams of the tournament. So currently WA, South Australia and Queensland could play a tournament in South Australia where it's scheduled in the Barossa and that could go ahead with smaller teams and the shorter tournament in January and then those remaining states, Victoria, New South Wales and Queensland may well be able to play their half of the tournament at the back end of the season. So that's option three, the one that Cricket Australia is favouring but uh, all three options are still on the table at the moment. Okay, and obviously uh, more information will become available as the as the next few months unfold, so we will continue to bring updates on that as they happen. Thanks, Steve. Well, gents, thanks very much for that. We've got uh, so much that we want to bring to you in the, in the way of news, all things surrounding country cricket. We uh, will definitely be putting a, a heavy lens in coming episodes on uh, the exciting inroads into Women's Country Week, which commenced last year, and we'll, we'll certainly be unpacking information about that in coming episodes, so make sure you tune in for that. Uh, we're now going to go into part two, and I'd love for you to hang around and listen to the amazing story and journey of one of the most iconic WA country cricketers of all time, Tuck Waldron. Welcome back, everybody, to part B of episode one of Out on the Paddock. For this part of episode one, I'm really, really excited to introduce our special guest, a man who is literally a living legend of WA country cricket and somebody in country cricket circles who barely needs any introductions at all. Tuck Waldron, welcome to Out on the Paddock. Thanks very much, Rob, and uh, thanks very much to all your listeners. Yeah, look, we're hoping we do get plenty of listeners, mate. <laughs> this is our first ever uh, episode and I can't think of a better first ever guest to have on the on the podcast and it's uh, it's fantastic that you've um, given us your time to join us. We're really excited to be able to delve a little bit into your story and as I said, uh, I don't think there's anyone who uh, exemplifies WA Country Cricket that's uh, living at the moment than you, mate, so uh, it's fantastic to have you join us. So... Let's get stuck into it. I want to just spend a little bit of time, if we can, just talking a little bit about your life growing up and, and, and where you come from and that sort of stuff. I note that 
you're living in Williton these days, but you were actually born a bit down the road in Cottesloe, and then at some stage uh, moved out into the into the country. Have I got that right? Yeah, well, I was born in 1951 in Cottesloe, but my dad was and family were on the farm uh, at a little place called Jingleup, which is about Jingle. 20 kilometres southwest of Cogenup on the main road to Franklin River. Um, mm-hmm. So it was just that Mum came to Perth to have me, obviously, and um, I. I uh, yeah, I had a wonderful upbringing. In fact, I've been very fortunate throughout my life, but a wonderful country upbringing in Jingle Up, a little uh, two-room school and um, <laughs> with the magnificent colours of purple and gold. And I, I love Jingle Up. I still feel very, very fondly of my memories of Jingle Up. And those early days uh, with, with life and with cricket uh, helped cement what probably came later. So mum and dad, Wally and Shirley, have I got that right? Yep, yep, Wally and Shirley Waldron, yep. Was, was Wally a, uh, or Shirley a cricketer back well, in the day? Well, it's really interesting, Rob. My dad was a very good sportsman, uh, played league football for Claremont, uh, made his debut at uh, 27 because he'd been away at the war for six, seven years, mm-hmm. uh, was training at St Kilda. He was also a very good tennis player, um, as a cricketer, my dad never had any coaching. He was a bit of a bush cricketer, but, <laughs> but a handy one, but a handy one. My mum, I love my mum so dearly, but when it came to sport, mum wasn't that great at sport. Um, so <laughs> I think my sporting prowess came from a dad, but my poor mum, I drove her crazy as a kid playing football games in the lounge room, hitting cricket balls against the wall all day, making mum throw catches to me at the school bus stop for years and um, mm. great memories. And I'm gathering mum also had to deal with, with you in a slightly different way than worrying about your cricket career because you were telling me you, you had a little bit of sickness as a baby. Do you want to explain that one? Yeah, when I was born, um, they couldn't get me to eat. And I couldn't keep anything down. And I had what's known as a pyloric stenosis. Between your stomach and your intestine is a little valve called the pyloric valve. Mine was blocked, and in 1951, they couldn't clear it. I was in Princess Margaret for four and a half months. They thought I was going to buy, I thought I was going to die. Uh, Dad had put a fire through, um, you know, still clearing the land at our farm at uh, Jingle Up, south of Cogenup. He came up because they thought I wasn't going to. Um, Survive, but I was only I was only kidding them, Rob. I think I just wanted a bit of attention, and um, <laughs> and I got through it. It's actually how I got my nickname, Tuck, because for the first five months of my life I couldn't eat, and when eventually ah. they cleared it, I went back home and started to eat for the first time in my life. I made an absolute pig of myself. Apparently, I just wouldn't stop eating, <laughs> and so my parents just called me a little Tucker box, and ah. that's where the nickname Tuck comes from. So. Right. There you go. <laughs> okay. Here I was thinking it was, you know, something to do with a tuck down to fine leg or something like that. But no. <laughs> That'd be an inside Classic. edge, Rob. That'd be yeah. an inside edge. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, um, you, you've put um, just in a little bit of um, background history that um, you also, as you sort of came into manhood, I guess you could call it, you got into real estate, is that right? So you ran your own real estate business at, at, at some stage and that was a bit of a challenge? I left school and came back to the farm and it was 1969, pretty tough year, rust in the crops, um, agriculture was down and I got mm. an offer to go and play footy at Clermont and um, mm-hmm. cricket at Clermont Cottesloe and I think my dad was glad that I went because it took a bit of pressure off uh, at the farm. So I, I got involved in insurance then uh, and yep. I worked in the insurance industry for five, six years. But when I went back to the farm, we needed to do – I needed to do something else and I got involved in rural real estate. Um, I was in that for some 17 years, uh, worked with elders real estate, mm-hmm. managed their southern area and ran my own business for about 12 or 13 years. So um, – a wonderful time in my life and enjoyed every bit of it. Was was politics, uh, obviously many many of the listeners would obviously know your involvement with politics and became the Minister for Sport for a number of years there in, in the in the coalition government or the, uh, the, the government of the time. Um, was politics something that Dad was interested in and you talked around the kitchen table a bit or was that something you developed yourself? 
Yeah, no, politics, uh, my dad was never involved in political parties or anything like that. I was never um, a mad political beast. Um, hmm. I was always interested in it, but it wasn't until after I'd been managing country football for nearly 10 years, I, I got approached and I, I, I thought about it. And uh, at first I thought, oh, no, I don't think so. And then as time went on, I thought about it a bit more and then they came back to me when an opportunity arose. And uh, Dexter, the late Dexter Davies, who many of you mm. know, the listeners would probably know, uh, also a, a fantastic guy in country cricket, Dexter and I who'd played against each other at school, he played footy for Eastern Mantle. I played against him when I was at Claremont. We played together for five seasons at Claremont Cottesloe. Dexter really encouraged me to give it a go. And I had to join the National Party to uh, when I put my nomination in. So I wasn't a political animal, but I'd always followed it. And when I, when I decided to have a crack, um, I didn't know whether I was going to like it or not. And I still remember when I got elected, I went home to my wife, Nolene, and said, Bloomin' heck, I'm in. And I said, I don't know whether I'm going to like this. I, I, didn't, know, I didn't know enough about it. And I thought, uh, I said to my wife, if I don't like this, I'm just going to have to guts it out for four years. But as it turned out, uh, it was, I, I loved every minute of it. And uh, it was a great part of my life. Yeah, and look for for the um, the listeners who haven't maybe seen the journey that Tuck went on. His legacy is is huge because uh, pretty much the whole of the Optus Stadium that we uh, are going to see a grand final in in a couple of weeks' time here in Western Australia. Uh, Tuck played a pivotal role in that process. So. Um, yeah, well done to you, Tuck, for your political career. We we haven't sort of come on this journey to talk too much politics. We, we're going to get into the really good stuff, the cricket, in a minute. But congratulations on your political career, even though it sounds like you kind of stumbled into it more than anything. <laughs> when when you um, when you were sort of growing up in coaching up, do you sort of have a moment where you remember somebody shuck, chucked a cricket bat in your hands, or do you have a first moment that you can remember playing cricket in Koji? I can. I, I actually started at my little place of Jingle Up. Um, I used to, we, all we had, we, there was no junior sport when I was a young fella outside of school. So Friday afternoons cricket and we used to play softball as well. I loved every minute of it. And Dad used to drop me off at the Jingle Up games because they had a senior team, the men's team that played in the Cricket Association. And I'd get there and just hope like hell that they were one short and I could field. And uh, yeah. my probably greatest ever, first great memory of cricket is when I actually got to have a bat at number 11 and I got that little outside edge going and I actually edged one for four. I was that happy and proud, Rob. You, you could have shot me dead and I would have died happy that day <laughs> um, because it was just, that was my love for the game even at that stage. I mean, I used to listen on the radio uh, to the test cricket and score in my scorebook. I was one of those got those sort of guys. And then I remember, you know, uh, getting, uh, went away to boarding school, but coming back and having trials for junior country week and getting selected for junior country week and just being so proud that I got in the, the team and we ended up winning junior country week, which is still, although it's a long, long time ago, I think it was 1965, uh, it's still very fresh in my mind. And I can remember I had a pretty good week and made some runs but like every good captain, I, I was captain of the side and I made a duck in the final, but I had some mates yeah. around me and we got there. You got there. So was that as cogent up? That was as cogent up. Yes, yeah, that was right, as okay. cogent up. That's pretty amazing, you know, for, uh, you know, something the size of cogent up coming and winning junior country week and no doubt against, you know, Bunburys, the Bunburys oh, and Albanys and Geraldtons and those sort of teams. In fairness, Rob, I think we are in B section. I think we beat, beat Lake Grace Coolin and it's funny because a lot of my sporting career, uh, particularly my football side in latter years, was against, you know, uh, Crookman and all those areas. But um, terrific yeah. sports men and women came out of those areas and it was great to – and I remember Leo's playing in that very game. So – and they went on to have great sporting uh, careers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, so before we get too much more into the cricket, because that's where I want to spend most of this yeah. session, but football obviously was just as big for you as cricket. Um, and I also noticed that you mentioned to me earlier that um, you, you were actually a darn good tennis player from what <laughs> I'm, 
I'm understanding, and tennis could have actually been your preference over cricket. Is that right? Well, it was at one stage. I, I loved them both. And when I went to boarding school, because as a kid at Jingle Up, our local little tennis club, you know, we, we had four courts in the little shed with the old corrugated iron <laughs> tank, but I just spent my life as a kid playing tennis. My dad was a good tennis player. I went to Hale and got some coaching from a guy called Max Bonner. And I actually, they had the state uh, hard courts championships at Cojanup one year and I played in the the juniors, the under-16s, I think it was. I actually got to the final and got knocked off by a guy called Brendan McCarthy who was a lot better player than I was. And when I went to Hale, I had to make a choice between cricket and football, uh, cricket and um, tennis for my summer sport. And I loved them both. And I, I gave it a lot of thought before I finally went the cricket way. But I'm so glad I did go the cricket way because as we'll talk later, the, the team sport was a thing I loved more mm. than anything at the end of it, and uh, I'm still a great believer in team sports. But enjoyed my tennis and, um, you know, I played quite a lot of tennis through my life. You and I have such a similar journey on that one because <laughs> uh, growing up in Harvey in the 1970s and, and 80s, my mum used to run the local junior tennis club while and had 100 kids that she was coaching on a Saturday morning and on the Oval next door, my dad was running the junior cricket with 100 <laughs> kids. So I, um, I, I was exactly the same. I was torn between tennis and cricket and, and on reflection in latter years, I think I was probably a better tennis cr- player than I was a cricket player, to be honest <laughs> with you. I won the, won the junior championships five years in a row or something, so in tennis. And they used to, they weren't very happy with me because my preference was to play cricket. So, uh, <laughs> you know yeah, what? so I... <laughs> Rob, I think it's a it's a good thing for kids today. I've got some grandkids these days down in Denmark who play lots of different sports. I, I encourage all parents to let their kids play different sports. In the end of the day, they will make their own decisions as time goes on, but you get great value out of playing different sports. So I really encourage that. You know, and somewhere in your teens, you probably have to make a call. And country footy obviously was big for you as well, not just playing country footy, but you, you went on and played some played waffle, as you said. How many how many years did you play at Claremont for um, in the waffle? I played uh, well. I played forty seven games. Uh, I also played a year in South Adelaide in South Australia. I, I just love football. I loved all sport, Rob. But I loved football. My dad had played for Claremont, so I used to on the farm. I had my I made my own oval. I used to mow it every Saturday morning, and put the radio on and listen to Claremont play. And I'd play the game. Uh, in those days, Claremont weren't winning too many, but in my local games on the farm, they won them all. <laughs> Look, I loved my. T- I I remember uh, leaving school. I, I played Alco Cup at Hale, leaving school and getting picked to play for Cojanup. That was a big day in my life, playing for Cojanup, because my heroes when I was young on the football field were Reggie Lyman and Alan Guest uh, and Trevor Norrish, and no one knows who they are, but they were the stars for Cojanup in those days, and they were my. Nick Nap Nui's and Nat Fife's of mm. today, if you like. Mm. And to mm. run out onto the old Cogent Up showgrounds on a pretty rough sort of oval uh, for Cogent Up was a pretty proud day for me. And um, I've always loved footy and I, and I was, and as you know, I became a, a football and cricket development officer for three years, which mm-hmm. was a great time in my life. And, mm. and I managed country football for 10 years. So I still love my footy and people often say to me, Rob, what do you like best, footy or cricket? And I, I can't really say. I, I probably no. end up probably being a bit better at cricket, but uh, I love my footy and still do. I reckon about the same time you were listening to uh, Claremont on uh, 6TZ or uh, 6IX or something like that, I don't know, one of those stations, I was probably listening to East Perth. I was besotted with East Perth and I had a moan area out the back of our place too that I'd played the game. But one big difference between you and me, you were obviously a champion footballer and I sucked at it, uh, <laughs> Tuck. So uh, for, for as good a, good a footballer as you were, I was a, maybe a good, better, better something else, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned 6TZ and it was 6TZ and 6BY Bridgetown and 6WB Catanning. And I That's listened to ones, 6WB yeah. Catanning, so there you go. Yeah. <laughs> I was on 6TZ, I think. <laughs> uh, <laughs> All right, so look, basically the idea of Out on the Paddock is to uh, just go over some great um, memories of your cricket career and, you know, we, we, we absolutely celebrate, like I say, your amazing footy career and your politics and all that sort of stuff, but we're here to really hear some some great um, memories of cricket and to capture that and that's what we're hoping to do on this podcast. This is a new innovation, so I really want to drill into that if I can, Tuck, without diminishing anything else and I noticed you, you have 
you know, some great other passions in your life, like um, you love history and music. And I even noted that you're uh, you're an avid whistler. I loved that one. That was, <laughs> I love that. We might even get you to finish the episode with a quick whistle <laughs> or something like that. But but I'm really keen to get into, into your cricket time. So we've got a bit of a timeline where obviously you spent a period of time, like you say, coming into the, the senior team at Koji and then some time playing in Premier Cricket in Perth, I'm guessing what we now call as Premier Cricket back then, um, not necessarily what we called it grade cricket, I think, back then. Um, and then did you return to the country after that or was that, did they sort of collide together? Well, Rob, look, I started playing cricket in the Cogenut Cricket Association when I was still at boarding school and I used to come home in the summer. And when I first came back and wanted to play when I was about 15, I suppose, and could probably 16, could play men's cricket, um, my, my, my beloved jingler had a full side and mm. they couldn't really guarantee me a game and it was fair enough because they had blokes playing and when I came back from school I'd take their place. But another team called Chandra, which is another little place on the northeast of Cojanup, were a bit short and a, a wonderful Cojanup cricketer called Chris Morley offered for me to play there. So people agreed, well, Tuck can play there when he's home. And yeah. um, Chris used to come and pick me up, how lucky I was. And in my first game... I played against Jingle Up, and you're not going to believe this, but I was only a kid, but I had a good day, and I got a hundred against Jingle Up, and my and um, and it was a, quite a story locally for a while. But I yeah. loved my local country cricket in Cojanup. I loved it till the day I stopped playing it, which was you know when I came back to Perth in my early 40s. So I played a lot of cricket down there, but I, I only played when I left school. I played one season, and I'd already played two or three country weeks. And then I went to Perth, primarily I went to Perth to play football through, with Claremont, and, um, but also went to Claremont Cottesloe Cricket Club, um, started off in the thirds, made a uh, couple of 30s, and then was very lucky. I got picked, I'd had a very good country week cricket that year, and made quite a few runs, and I got picked in the country 11 to play the state team when Lily, Massey, Locke and those guys were playing. And I think I've made 40-odd that day and next week I, I was I was playing A grade cricket. So I was very fortunate. <laughs> you went straight from thirds thirds to first. You didn't even have a crack in the seconds. <laughs> I went from thirds to first, made a duck in my first game, uh, a long duck. I think I batted for about half an hour and could get off the mark and then lob one to mid on out of frustration. But I was lucky in the next game I got I got sixty odd. And then Ross Edwards was the wicket keeper at that stage and for those cricket buffs who might be listening, mm. Ross wanted to concentrate on his batting and I was a wicketkeeper, of course, and Ross had been keeping in the state side, but Rod Marsh had come along. And so Ross Edwards gave up the gloves and, and I took over the gloves and, um, you know, I probably never looked back in that side from there on. So I was yeah. I was pretty fortunate. Wow. I, I want to just rewind a little bit yeah. and so the, the association that you were playing in before you went to Perth, the known as the Cojanup Cricket Association? I'm yes, thinking. it was the Cojanup Cricket Association and we remained Cojanup Cricket Association till well into the 80s and until yes. we could no longer sustain it. We only had the four teams and we ended up uh, amalgamating and joining the Catanning Cricket Association. Right. But when I first left school, it was the Cojanup Cricket Association and, um, you know, we in 1980, that little association... We, in 1979, we got to the A-grade Country Week final and were beaten by Bruce Rock Narrenbean in a really good final <laughs> at the Wacker. And in 1980, for the one and only time, Cojanup won A-grade Country Week cricket, which is one of the greatest days of my life in my cricketing career. Wow. It, it, you know, those they're the stories that we just absolutely love to hear because, you know, clearly there's certain areas of WA regional cricket that we're seeing unfortunately not, yeah. you know, at, at the place it once was. And to capture that sort of information and history is just gold. And to, to hear the, um, you know, the listeners can't see you like I can, to see the passion in your face when you talk <laughs> about that, it's like you're bursting at how, you know, you've done all these amazing things in your life and yet one of the things that makes you most proud is, you know, a win by Cogen up at Senior Country Week in 1979 or, or, or whenever Well, it was, it was, it was yeah. so special. And that guy, Chris Morley, I talked to you about, who used to pick me up as a kid and gave me a game, Chris played in that final and Chris got a duck 
in that final. But I think it was they had one B grade. We had one B grade and C grade, but never A. And Chris had carried coaching up for quite a few years. And that day we had a good side and we played our arch rivals, Mount Barker, who we used mm-hmm. to play regularly in the James Shield competition. Mount Barker were a great cricketing town and they'd won Country Week a few times. Yep. Uh, we were probably underdogs against Mount Barker, but that famous day, um, Peter Mc- the late Peter McFarlane, who ended up being mm-hmm. my brother-in-law, uh, he took six for about 40 or 38 off 27 overs that day and um, it was a great game of cricket and I'll never forget a great show of sportsmanship by Bill Bunker from Mount Barker when he edged a ball and the umpire wasn't going to give him out and he turned to Andy McFarlane and said, Andy, did you catch that? And Andy said, I, I caught it as clear as a bell, Bill, and Bill turned and walked off. Wow. And um, I think, you know, you don't see that too often. So no. t- to beat Mount Barker for us was just fantastic and the way they took the defeat and in the rooms afterwards we all got together and and obviously we had a couple of frothies, but it was just a fantastic. For coaching up it was brilliant and for those who had gone before me, it was so important. And to yeah. me today, it's just as important. Like I say, they're the stories that just <laughs> enthrall me and I hope they do for the listeners as well. Uh, not too long after that, 1984, I think Harvey Murray won our Senior Country Week a, a section. It was the only time pretty much we'd ever won something like that and I remember the the immense pride yeah. in, in oh. that happening. So, yeah, it's a great story, Tuck, and thanks for sharing that with us. W- w- just going back to the, the four clubs that were in yeah. Koji, w- who were they? Can you oh, name them? You're going to love this when I name the four clubs. Yeah. There was Cogin Up, mm-hmm. Jing- Jingle Up, mm-hmm. Changer Up mm-hmm. and Boil Up. <laughs> and Boil Up. <laughs> and we played at the Cogin Up Oval, which had uh, a big oval but two two wickets. So we yep. played there each week. So it was fantastic. I think this helped us in our association cricket because we were with each other every cricket day of the year pretty much and yeah. we had great rivalries and, and winning a flag for Jingle Up over Cogin Up or Changer Up, whatever it may be, you know, that was that was really important as well. And they were yeah. great days. And I often say when I speak, Rob, that some of the, you know, some of my great memories and real fun of enjoying cricket were, were playing that local club cricket. And players around the associations around Western Australia know what I'm talking about. And I often say it doesn't matter whether you're, you know, playing in a test match at the MCG or playing in a final jingle up versus changer up, to the people who are playing, it's it's the same sport, it's the same game and it's the same feeling. Feeling, It's just yeah. different standards and a, and a slightly different crowd. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Wow, I'm, I'm just getting images of those. So, so they were both turf, turf wickets no, alongside no, we, each other or hard wickets? We, we played on hard wickets. It used to be Malfoyd. We then, right, we then trialled, yeah. <laughs> we had these like asbestos wickets with mats on. We played on them. They used right. to go clunk every time the ball hit the wicket. <laughs> and we ended up playing on Gabba, Gabba grass, you know, um, synthetic pitches. But yeah. um, it did, uh, and I, always, I could just tell a little story, Rob. I, well, I always remember mm. when I came back to Perth as a 41-year-old and got involved in Williton, and one night when I was coaching, a certain player didn't want to bat on the hard wickets. He said, well, I, I play I play A-grade cricket, premier cricket, I, I, I bat on turf. And I just took mm. this young fella aside. I said, mate, it doesn't matter what you bat on. You've got a bowler and you're the batsman. It doesn't matter where it's gravel, the wicket at Lords, the number three wicket at Widgie Mill. It doesn't matter. It's the game still the same. And I said, <laughs> don't think you're too good that you can't bat on a hard wicket. Yeah, you know, it was good a, call. And I think it was a lesson for that, that young player at the time. Good call. Good call. <laughs> like it. So um, the next part of your sort of country cricket journey that I'm fascinated in is is your time in the WA Country 11. Um, so you mentioned you got selected in that um, while she was still playing in, at Claremont Cot in Perth. Um, who, who were some of the, the names in the Country 11 when you first came in? You know, the, obviously we revere some of the amazing cricketers that have been in WA Country Cricket across 130-odd years. Who, who were some of the big names when you first Gee, came you're in? Make, you're making me think now. Um, I'm just making trying to work. Um, Ray, Ray Gifford, uh, the beautiful right. left-arm bowler from um, Boy Up Brook. Uh, Merv Hosking, opening batsman from Kalgoorlie. Um, Ronnie Shand, who was a wicketkeeper when I first came in. And it was sort of funny because I, I played that game and then I played 
um, was playing A-grade cricket, but the rule of under-21s meant I could play Country Week and yep. we, we played my first game against an international side was against England in Narragin. But oh, wow. but then at the end, of when I went back to the country at the end of my footy and cricket career in Perth and we started, the Country 11 started playing not just against the touring sides but the Toyota Cup, uh, I yep. was just very, very fortunate that I was around at that time when we played so much Country 11 cricket um, with Country 11 and the Australian Country 11. I think I played around about 20 matches against international sides and, uh, you know, probably half a dozen against our own state side. And um, I was just lucky I was around at that time. And I, I feel for the players of today who don't get that opportunity as much. I mean, there's still the Australian Cricket Carnival, bar COVID inter, inter, intervening. But mm. uh, the, the, the run we got then and the ability to play against touring test teams was a fantastic experience. It, it is one of the things that pains us, unfortunately, yeah. at the moment on the WA Country Cricket Board is that we can't provide the the opportunities during COVID that we would like to for our Country 11. And certainly one of the sad things about the growth of international cricket now is that they don't come on extended tours like they once upon used once to, did. you know, yeah. and uh, it, it's, yeah, I know my dad dad got to play against teams like that and uh, I used to listen with absolute envy, you know, um, India in Harvey in 1967 and all that sort of thing. So, yeah. It's 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 unfortunate, but um, you were fortunate. So oh, I was uh, fortunate. Yeah, we celebrate that. And it's no one's fault. Cricket's moved on, and cricket will always move on, and things will change, and there'll be other opportunities that open up in the future. Yeah, no, that it's incredible. So I want to dig into that a little bit more because, as a uh, as a young cricketer coming through in in Harvey, I recollect a game that's almost gone down in in legendary history and that was a match I reckon early 80s against the West Indies in Bunbury. Yeah. Um, a, a match that when the West Indies were absolutely at their height, um, can you rattle off a few of the West Indians that were playing in that match that uh, I know you had to go out and face and that uh, from from listening to it on 6TZ, I was listening <laughs> in Harvey, I couldn't get to the game. Uh, I, I've... I have strong recollections of you uh, taking them on at their own game or uh, swiping a few over uh, backward point or, or uh, behind square legs. So uh, maybe do you want to tell the listeners who weren't around at that time uh, some of the some of the bowlers that were running on at you at that at that time? Yeah, look, I, I was very fortunate. We played the West Indies there. Um, look, thinking now, I think it was. Gee, I'm not even sure which year it was now, but. Um, I reckon about eighty four was it? Must it? have was been in the eighties yeah, yeah. there somewhere. I, yeah, I yeah, just, yeah. And I do remember that I was probably fortunate again. Um, we actually gave them a, a, a run for their money that day, and yeah, and um, <laughs> we we bowled quite well and kept them to a reasonable score, and we got a, a you know we got a reasonable start, and we lost some wickets, and and I I was batting, and and we had the lights in that game, I think. Uh, of uh, I'm just trying Michael Holding, I think, and um, uh, Winston Davis, and uh, mm. I think Malcolm Marshall. Those guys, I just can't quite remember who's bowling, but uh, and so I had to work really hard early. But at, to, as the game went on a bit, they bowled a couple of um, like Richie Richardson had a bowl, etc. And and uh, I was able to, I'd got a bit of a start and got away, and then was able to. Uh, put a few over the top and try to just entertain the crowd. <laughs> and suddenly we got away with it and we actually got to a position where we had a chance of winning. And I, I remember them suddenly the, the quicks came back and made it very difficult for us at the end. But a fantastic day, a big crowd. And um, I always remember the last over. I think we needed 16 off the last over and it was Winston Davis at the rec ground with a howling sea breeze behind him and yeah. we were trying to hit him back into that sea breeze. And um, I think we got about <laughs> 10 or 11, but we didn't, we didn't make it. But it was a Think great spectacle and it was a great opportunity and, uh, and I'm sure Bunbury enjoyed that day, as did the towns and places around where we played those other games. I remember reading somewhere um, that Clive Lloyd, who was captain of the West Indies at the time, even in latter years, has rated that oval on that day one of the most amazing games he'd ever played in or as far as scenic and, you know, the rec ground in Bunbury is just, you know, a magnificent ground from a scenic point of view and he remembers that even to this day. So, uh, and I'm, 
Uh, he didn't quite say that he remembered this uh, bloke from Kojinut come out, coming out and belting them everywhere, but I'm sure on the day he was getting a little bit nervous coming down to that last over. So. Well, I can tell you one little funny story because we did play the West Indies. We played them about three times in two years because of what happened with tours. We played them in Albany, Bunbury and Corrigan. And after we played them in um, Bunbury and as I said before, Richie Richardson bowled a few overs and I managed to put him over three or four times over the fence. And yeah. when I went, when we played them in Corrigan, I was walking out to bat and he was fielding at square leg. And as I walked past, I must have had a bit of a look of fear on my face, as you generally did when you're walking out to face the West Indies. <laughs> and he looked at me and he said, because I was captain, he said, don't look so worried, Skip. It'll be okay. They'll be bringing me on the ball soon. You'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, and they wow, were terrific. They, they, they played it in the right spirit and they were very friendly towards us. And so, you know, good on the West Indies cricket. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, they were they were an amazing team that uh, for those of us who were fortunate, fortunate enough to live during that era, uh, I don't, you know, it's hard to come up with a, anyone better that, than that team in that era. They were amazing. Um, all right. Well, we're getting towards the back end of, of your career. So um, w- do you remember your last game? Do you remember your last game in country cricket and where it was? Do you, um, was, there, was there a moment where you went, you know what, I think I'm done now? Yeah. It, it, before I moved to Perth at the end of uh, nine, uh, season 91-92, uh, yeah. I played, I'd, I'd, just, well, I'd finished at the Australian Country Championships and I remember my last, Last game um, was at North Loxton in the Riverland. This is for the Country 11. And I didn't know, but I'd scored. uh, I was batting and I was about, I think I was about 40. Um, We had the game in in our keeping pretty much. And I missed a full toss and got bowled for about 40. And when I came in, they said, you silly so-and-so, you needed three more runs to score a 1,000 runs. But... Oh. That didn't worry me because I was never one for the stats. Quite, I, I just I loved playing team cricket. I love, I love trying to win. I, I love yeah. captaining and I love the contest. But I'm one of those guys that I, I didn't sort of sit in the edge of the change room and wouldn't talk to anybody for hours after I got out or after we lost. I, I always played it like, okay, you gave it everything. Game's over. Shake hands and get on with life. But that day, I do remember it was my last game of Country 11 and, and I'd had, you know, I, I was captain for uh, 11 years, I think. I can't quite remember, but a long time. I was very fortunate. And um, I do remember sitting in those change rooms and a couple of the guys, Dave, David Francis and um, mm-hmm. a couple of those type fellas saying, mate, it's all over. And it sort of hit me and I said, mm. well, we just better have a beer then. <laughs> that's, that's what we mm. did. That's all you can do. <laughs> so I retired at the end of that year because I moved to Perth to run country football. And, of course, yeah. my wife always reckons I pick houses near sporting clubs. And uh, <laughs> so where we lived in Williton in Perth, I was right near the Williton Cricket Club. I went down for a beer and then two weeks later they rang me and they were short in the thirds. So I yeah. played a couple of third-grade games and then they had problems next year with the coach and I ended up going back and coaching <laughs> And played oh, A-grade cricket again, which was uh, uh, just a wonderful way to finish my career because I yeah. played with a lot of younger guys and, um, yeah, it was good. It was good. But yeah. a couple of seasons yeah. and that, 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 that was enough. <laughs> yeah. And talking of, of, of great innings, 30-odd years married to Nolene and four, you've got four daughters. Yes, we've been correct? married for 36 yeah. years. I've got four wonderful daughters and um, people always said to me, uh, you know, you're married with four daughters and you're a footballer and a cricketer. Um, don't you wish you had a, a son? And I always said, look, I'm married with four daughters. That's why I'm bald, broke, but happy. <laughs> and, um, and, uh, and and my the great thing for me, I'm lucky. Uh, Nolan and myself are still very well. My four daughters are all doing well and they're healthy. I now have two granddaughters and I have two grandsons. So I, in the end, I did get those boys. I just had to wait a while. And uh, they love their football, their cricket, their surfing, their basketball, and uh, we'll see how they turn out. But um, the other thing I thought I might mention, if I could, Rob, was mm. during my country cricket days, I, I had some great influences and played with a few fantastic players. Mm. And I just thought I might mention a couple of them if you, if you want. Definitely. Yeah, for sure. And some people, do, I, I, had, I was really influenced by a guy called Graeme Zilko, 
who was a Swan Districts footballer and won the A-grade bowling averages for Midland Guildford uh, in the late 50s, early 60s. But Graham lost an eye in the Midland workshops and he came to coaching up coaching football, was a very successful coach and was a great cricketer, played a lot of country week cricket for us. But I probably didn't quite realise it enough at the time, but he toughened me up. You know, I'd been a reasonable, you know, uh, schoolboy footballer and cricketer and I needed to toughen up a bit. He toughened me up and coached me at football and and really helped me on the cricket field and mm. and occasionally got into me about throwing my innings away or, um, you know, you don't do that, you should set the field here and whatever. But he, he, was a, he was a great man. And then I think of guys like... Um, uh, Ross Edwards and Bruce Duperuzel at Claremont Cot, Lindsay Scott and Dave Francis at Country Eleven had uh, brilliant cricketers uh, and great people who influenced my cricket one hell of a lot. Um, and a guy I mentioned Peter McFarlane, my brother-in-law, um, mm-hmm. and his brother Andy, Andrew McFarlane, yeah, which cricket. a lot of your listeners would know. Andy and I yep. played a lot of cricket together and against each other. One of the greatest mm. competitors I know. Um, mm-hmm. look, he was a very, very good cricketer, played country 11, but a great competitor. And he played against some of those touring sides and did very well. And so mm-hmm. they're the people who had the effect on me. And, of course, I was so lucky because I had a great family. My my mum and dad were so supportive. I had two sisters, so I had no no boys to play with at the farm and used to make up a lot of my own games and play by myself. But, uh, you know, family in everything is important and um and Nolene and my daughters were very supportive as well, and I just wanted to mention that. Oh, definitely, because, you know, for all of us, you know, it's certainly in my own cricket career, without that support around you, you just can't do it, you know, and so many, even in country cricket, so many Saturday afternoons could be done doing something else, but if you've got the support around you to allow you to enjoy your passion and that, you've got to celebrate that surely, and so I'm, I'm really thrilled that you've named all of those guys for a start, but also Nolene and your and your four daughters who uh, clearly had to, you know, tag along with Dad, I'm sure, from time to time to cricket matches all around the place. And there was just uh, two others I should have added at the start. In my early years, a guy called Bruce Wright from Mount Barker was very uh, good to me, gave me some good tips. I think he was the reason I got picked in the country level in the first place. And in latter years, a good friend of yours, Peter Sillinger, has also uh, uh, yeah. been a great cricketing man to sort of yeah. be associated with. And, Rob, the other thing about cricket is I just love the team side of it. The friends that I've made, I can go anywhere in country WA and bump into someone who says, oh, Tuck, I got you out in 1985. And he probably <laughs> did. Like I said, you probably did. Most people did get me out. Um, but, and I love. I was lucky to captain a lot of my career and, and I love captaincy, not just to yep. try and win the game, but, you know, to, to actually help young players and help young people and... Um, it's probably as I as I get a bit older in, in my life, I look back and I think that probably gives me as much satisfaction as, you know, making 100. Uh, yep. When you see those young guys doing well and whatever, you think, hey, you know, you play a little role there. And I think that's important to think about when you're coming through. Well, Tuck, in around about 1984, I got you out in a match, in a Prudential Cup match at Donnybrook. So there you go. I'm oh, going to add to that. That's you the know, only time yeah. I played at Donnybrook. <laughs> I only played there once. I can't remember how I got out, but... I I wasn't bowling. I caught you out on the boundary. So there you go. You hit hit one. I I think I actually might have stepped over the boundary, but uh, at that time we were so desperate to get you out that... Typical (laughs) me, slogging again. (laughs) Didn't do a belly bunker and call you back or whatever, but no, no. It was definitely one of the highlight memories in my life is is watching you bat at Donnybrook that day. It was amazing. All right, we're we're going to finish with something that I'm going to start in this first episode of um, Out on the Boundary and I'm going to continue it on in the future. I'm going to finish with something that I'm going to call the super over. So basically I'm going to throw six deliveries at you. Yep. In other words, six quick questions. You Just quick answers hopefully um, and uh, see how we go. So what would you rate as your favourite ever country cricket ground that you ever played on? If you could pick one. Um, My favourite country cricket ground... So WA country. WA country cricket ground. I would probably say, uh, I'd probably say the wreck in Bunbury. 
Yeah. I love the ocean, yeah. the wind, etc. Yeah, I'll say the wreck in Bunbury. Yeah, and and is that just the ground or would you say you had a, a pitch that you played on that was better somewhere, you know, one that you just loved batting on? I'm probably being biased. Um, I loved it there because of the ocean next to it. It was a beautiful yeah. – I found the wicket always had a bit in it for the bowlers, so batting wasn't always easy there. And I, and I remember having in an Australian carnival – playing a real tough innings. I think I made 50-odd against New South Wales, but one of the hardest 50s I made. And just, I guess it was good memories for me. And um, yeah. the other ground I liked was the boil-up oval that had a tree 15 metres in at deep third man, but I'll leave it there. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're, t- we're, we're, we're on to our third delivery. You're, you're definitely uh, off to a good start. You've um, hit a couple past uh, cover and you're on the run now. Uh, we're, I think you might have already mentioned it, where where did you make your first hundred? Do you remember? Yeah, I made my first hundred at Hale School. Right. Uh, in I okay. think I was third year I, on the East Oval at Hale School, and uh, about a year mm-hmm. later, two years later, I made my first Country Week hundred on the same ground. Really? And there you uh, go. Billy yeah. Bunker was bowling for Williams, and was a great <laughs> Billy Bunker was a great support throughout my career as well. The late Bill Bunker. Yeah. So it's this is going to be we're under the fourth delivery of the over. And this I reckon you missed the a delivery, didn't you? <laughs> no, we went favourite ground and favourite pitch. So oh, right I'm working that okay. that was the rec, the rec ground. <laughs> we're going with that. So <laughs> um, this could be the toughest delivery in the over. Who was you can only have one. Who was the best country cricketer you ever saw in your time? Um, the best all round country cricketer that I saw and. And this, he played a little bit of country level, but not much. And I'm biased. Was was the late Peter McFarlane? Uh, Peter was a fantastic bowler who should have played A grade cricket, but Peter also made lots of hundreds. He was just a fantastic all rounder. And I probably saw a lot more of Peter than a lot of people did. But he knew when he could bowl out swinger, in swinger, off cutter, leg cutter, and made hundreds. When I was coming into my senior country week career in the in the uh, early mid eighties. The McFarlane name was just one that you just revered, both Andy and Peter. Yeah. They were just, you know, if, if you were playing a higher grade at Country Week and the McFarlanes were playing, you were in trouble. So. <laughs> and I say sorry to Lindsay Scott, who I reckon was pretty was a great bat. A good one, yeah. I knew you'd chuck in a second one. It's hard, <laughs> isn't it? It's hard. Moving politicians. Yeah. <laughs> right, you got two deliveries yep. left. You, you're, you're still going well. Fastest bowler you ever faced in country cricket, not in Perth cricket, in country cricket. In country cricket, the fastest bowler I ever faced was probably, just trying to think of his name now, uh, Eddie Mariner. A guy called Eddie Mariner who played for Queensland okay. in Australian Country Cricket Championships was yep. probably the quickest I ever faced in country cricket. But playing around WA country cricket? Um, yeah. In my time, probably Kevin Draper. Yeah, Kevin Draper. I faced Kevin Draper. He was bloody quick. <laughs> yes, yes, he was. All right, you're doing well. This is to get to a 1,000 runs at Australian Country Cricket <laughs> Championships, okay? You've got to get over this one. You can't finish on 989 or whatever it was. <laughs> uh, just one. What What is your greatest single memory of playing WA Country Cricket, you know, whether that be at Country 11 or down in Koji or wherever, what's your one single greatest memory? I think winning A grade country week cricket, because it was a yeah. it was a team it was a team thing. Uh, we were a little association, and to get to that stage and win it, and for the players who had pl- gone before, uh, still rates us. I think it's my number one thing um, because it just means so much, and we hope to have a reunion this summer. Fantastic. That would, that would be something to, to, to behold, I reckon. <laughs> and I'm so glad you've answered that way, obviously. The WA Country Cricket Board, we the premier competition for us is Senior Country Week and for you in, in the most decorated country cricket career of anyone I know to rate that win as your most special moment, that's huge, I think, and uh, calls out what an amazing thing we have, this thing called um, Senior Country Week, it's just something that for many of us is is just the pinnacle of our cricket careers, doesn't matter how far we've gone or wherever we've played. So, yeah, great call, Tuck, great call. I love Country Week and, well, may it last for a long time and players enjoy it for many years to come. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, amen to that. 
Tuck Waldron, this is I could uh, I could talk for another hour and a half, um, but I'm guessing the listeners have, uh, have got a great insight into into your amazing country cricket career, and we're just so thankful that uh, you continue to play such a vital role for those who aren't aware, and I'd be surprised if you weren't. Tuck is the the chair of the the WACA or WA Cricket as we now call it, yep. um, and um, is just a mighty powerhouse in all forms of WA cricket, but is it an amazingly good friend to WA Country Cricket in particular and uh, we certainly appreciate your support of WA Country Cricket, Tuck. And, uh, but most of all, mate, we want to thank you for coming on um, out on the paddock and um, we, uh, we hope that you've enjoyed the, the opportunity to be part of the podcast. Thanks, Rob. Um, and listeners, it's, it's great to be uh, part of this out in the paddock and what, what a great concept and uh, keep it up. I look, I look forward to... Uh, listening to some of the podcasts that will follow. Thanks, Tuck. Cheers. Thanks, Rob. Well, how good was that, folks? Tuck, you're an absolute legend, mate. Absolute legend. Thanks for your time today. Your story is inspirational to many of us. Your journey, we absolutely have loved to hear every moment of it. We wish you and your family all the very best for the future and in your ongoing role as chair of WA Cricket. Mate, we really appreciate your time today. We also really want to thank Steve Philippi and Andrew Hayes for joining us in the first part of today's podcast, bringing us all the news in regarding to WA Country Cricket. We do have some late breaking news, however, that we need to share, and it's in relation to the national championships, the Australian Country Cricket Championships. Following a review of state and territory feedback and discussions with state and territory CEOs, it was agreed last week that in order to give the championships every opportunity of proceeding, Cricket Australia will be postponing the Community Cricket National Championships that were scheduled to take place in January and February of 2022. Cricket Australia is very much still committed to prioritising the health and wellbeing of participants, support staff, host staff and local volunteers not actively excluding any states and territories from participating in any championships unless they have previously withdrawn and not prioritising one championship over another. And expenses being within the FY21-22 operational budget. All that adds up to, sadly, we won't be seeing an ACCC in January and February this year. However, there are further announcements coming and we'd love for you to stay tuned in regards to that. And further to that, we really want you to stay tuned for the upcoming episode, episode two of Out on the Paddock. We will be bringing that to you soon. Play fair and play well. Well,